Wondering if you're keeping up with deep dives, buddy dives, and dive master interviews? You might not be. To be sure you're getting all my content as soon as it's available, as well as a commercial-free option, please subscribe to Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. Everything that we are used to, so wage negotiations, you know, union representation, democracy itself, because legislation will become less important, all of that, in a CBDC world, it all changes. It all changes. This is Monica Perez, and we welcome back today a returning guest, a fan favorite, Ian Davis, I-A-I-N, davis.com, who is a prolific writer of articles and books, including Pseudo Pandemic. And he, uh, you can find his articles on Off Guardian. He's um, on many different outlets. He's got a great Substack. He's got a great website. If you look at his website, the amount of interviews and topics he covers, it's really like a gift. And I really appreciate your time. And how are you, Ian? Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm very well, Monica. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I So I was really um, loved seeing your recent articles that were in Off Guardian. You've done other articles since then, but um, about the CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency, it's a part one and a part two, exactly as I wanted to address this subject for people who you know aren't into crypto, aren't knee deep into this. And um, the way I thought it you broke it out was just so accessible was kind of what is the CBDC and what are the real implications for us? And um, so I would love for you to give us a little bit of that. And as always, I'd like to know how you crack the code because like you're not an expert in any one thing in the health and finance, whatever, but you obviously really understand this stuff or you would not be able to explain it in such a simple way. So I like to hear a little bit of how the sausage is made as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. My pleasure. Do you want me to sort of give an outline of CBDC or what yes. I think CBDC is all around? Yeah, so central bank digital currency is a new form of money. Uh, it's not money as we are familiar with it. So, you know, we might think of that. I mean, there are, there are already different types of money that we're all familiar with. So, for example, there is cash, which is obviously paper money or coins that we exchange for goods and services. Then there's electronic money. Now, most of our money is electronic money. So, you know, that's our debit cards, our credit cards and, and so forth that we pay for things at, at, at automated checkouts or whatever. We just go beep and we've paid and it all comes directly out of our bank accounts. So but that is not that is not what central bank digital currency will be. It, we might experience it as electronic money in that sense, as in we'll have a card attached to our CBDC wallet, central bank digital currency wallet. And we might well experience it in the same way. So we just go and beep, we just go and pay for something at the at the checkout. And that's that's as far as we know, that's what it will feel like from our end. <clears throat> but it is fundamentally different for this reason. Central bank digital currency, and we can go into the details of how it is issued in a little bit, but, but this is probably the most important thing to grasp, is what they're calling programmable money. So this money, this means that because it's a purely digital asset, it is uh, uh, fundamentally it's a string of code. So each each 
central bank digital unit of central bank digital currency is a string of code. So that code can have attached to it controls such as smart contracts, what they're calling smart contracts. So what that means is that the conditions for the expenditure of that money can be set within the money itself. So, for example, they might decide, a central bank might decide that in, in order to maintain sustainable development, you can't buy um, wood-fired wood fired, um, uh, uh, burners, for example. So they decide that you can't buy wood-fired burners because they're bad for the environment. So when you go to pay for the, pay for the wood-fired burner, You'll get your card out, your CBDC card out, and you will try to buy it, but that transaction will already have been disabled. So you won't be able to physically buy it. So the, the, so the person in the shop will go, oh, sorry, you can't buy that Declined. item. Yeah. Declined. It's not that you haven't got enough money. You might have enough CBDC in total, but you just can't physically make that purchase. I had thought years ago when Mayor Bloomberg tried to ban sugary drinks in New York, I said, someday they're going to have a progressive tax on how much sugar you consume. So your first ice cream cone would have like a 10% tax, but your third one of the week would have like a 100% tax. I just envisioned this like 10 years ago, and I'm confident that they would use it that way if they could. But my question, I have two questions. First of all, can Bitcoin be limited this way? Do you think is Bitcoin similarly programmable, but it just ha it doesn't get programmed? Like, could you uh, mess with an individual Bitcoin? Theoretically, it could be because it's a similar basis. So, so most people think that so Bitcoin is based on on a blockchain technology or what they call distributed ledger technology. So, this idea basically it is exactly as it sounds. It's that it's a ledger of transactions. And, and each unit of Bitcoin, subdivision of Bitcoin, is a string of, of numbers, of figures, and a hash sum, which you can spend. So you make a transaction, and that goes onto the ledger. But the point of distributed ledger technology is that it is not centrally controlled. So there isn't like a single server that administers the whole network. It is, it's, it's decentralized technology, in effect. So... That means that there are lots and lots and lots of different nodes, mini servers, if you like, that are serving as the as the or are holding copies of the ledger. Let's put it that way. They're holding copies of the ledger. So the whole ledger is put together and, and but because all these separate individual and more importantly, it can they can either be anonymous or not. But in the case of Bitcoin, they are anonymous. These anonymous nodes collectively form the distributed ledger that enables the blockchain to function. And there are different types of distributed ledger technology. So it doesn't just have to be blockchain based. There are other types of technology as well. But the point is those those nodes are decentralized and anonymous. All right. So no one one single node is controlling the network. So because they're decentralized, you couldn't program it to fail in one way every time because it could then access a different node perhaps 
yeah, yeah, you can't take out one part and the whole network goes down. Right, okay. Because, because it's replicated, but through different nodes. Okay, so... Uh, okay, so but the digital, the CBDC, the central bank digital currency, w- so that it can attach those limitations, and those limitations are really, I mean, that's a policy, but that's a yeah. policy decision. But it doesn't sound to me, and I, it doesn't sound to me like you know who's making that decision. It sounds like the banks make that decision, and that there isn't really a legislative structure being proposed around those choices yeah i mean there are there is a legislative kind of environment within which they're trying to establish central bank digital currency but a big part of that legislation you know for example we see in russia is what they've got a law on what they call in digitalized financial assets which includes cryptocurrency Right. So, but, but it isn't limited to cryptocurrency. It's 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 about things called, without getting too far off the subject, yeah. it's about things called tokenized digital assets. Right. So you could, for example, yes. Oh, to- yeah. That's that's later. Yeah. That yeah. So yeah. that's something okay. else, right? So, but but so they're they're trying to create an environment, a legislative environment, in which all of these things operate together. So, uh, you know, they might regulate something like i mean who knows what they'll do with bitcoin i mean the the point with with something like bitcoin uh is that it's very difficult to regulate it because of because of its its the distributed ledger technology blockchain based distributed node model so there's no reason why anyone couldn't fork it now there have been lots of forks in the past so you you, you if you closed it down yes. you know you people could fork it elsewhere yes, right so okay. so it's but the cbdc isn't like that though cbdc is fundamentally different okay. because cbdc that there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of debate thus far about what kind of model because there are lots lots and lots of different potential models for cbdc how it, it, it in terms of its technological function how it will function but what has emerged Certainly, we're seeing this with the digital pound and the digital ruble, and with the ECMY. This the the Chinese the Chinese uh, digital yuan or whatever you want to call it um, is this idea of a of a an, what they're calling an API layer, which they're calling the platform, which will innate which will enable the central banks. So this is another point about central bank digital currency. Only the central banks issue the currency. Nobody else. At the moment, with our modern modern fiat currency system, commercial banks issue yes. most most currency is issued and, by commercial banks. And it seems to me, from what I was reading, when you were talking about, I forget what is what it was called, split monetary circuit, was where you said that at the central bank level, there is a um, base money that the commercial banks have and use uh, as a basis for what you called, what is called broad money in that the commercial banks can lend on that. Now the reserve requirement is zero. Although I looked it up and the reserves are the same as they were before. It used to be like half required and then half surplus. And now it's all surplus, but it's the same. It's about $3 trillion, I think. Think that's what it was, but I'm just saying, like, so they don't seem to care that there's a requirement. They do do keep reserves, 
And then from the reserves, there's another kind of layer of decision-making that a commercial bank will give out a loan, and that is what puts the money in circulation. And to me, the way I was reading that is that gives you a little bit of market give and take as to supply and demand of money. Uh, but I could, you know, maybe I'm reading that wrong. Whereas if you take out that middleman and the central bank is giving it directly, that first of all is immediately inflationary, which seems to be like the real reason of what just happened, which we can get into. And then, cause they've already started a piece of this process by going direct, as you explained, um, happened during COVID. We can get into that. But, uh, so, so they, it feels to me like it takes out any kind of, interaction with the market and also is a super powerful tool to manipulate the economy and society by just having that direct, like you can put on the gas, put on the brakes because the central bank just creates it by fiat also. It's not like, like Bitcoin where yeah, yeah. it has a predetermined limit. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's the same. Yeah, it's exactly that. So it's a combination of you like if the kind of the kind of issuance of currency that we saw with Bitcoin, which was the is issuance of 21 million Bitcoin and that's it. There'll never be any more Bitcoin. It's just that. So, you know, it's it's about subdivisions of those units, but the units themselves are not going to go up or, no, or not going to go down. There'll never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. Right. So. So that's kind of controls inflation to an extent. But I mean, of course, inflation is really only, uh, you know, what we if you take the money, the issue of money, you know, the monetary inflation out of the inflation equation, right. you're still left with some price fluctuation. So you're still going to have price fluctuation. Yeah, because you so, have supply and demand issues, which is yeah. what contributed like the twofold thing that happened to the because of inflation in the COVID era was um, A, this idea of going direct, which I'm a little fuzzy on, so I'd like you to explain that. And then the other thing was they they put the brakes on production while stimulating consumption. So that couldn't, I can't imagine ever coming across a purer example of more money chasing fewer goods, which is how they kind of define in the textbooks inflation. Yeah. So they seem to have done that on purpose, probably to get over the 2008 zero interest rates in perpetuity, that they were, there was just no other way. But I think that's what this was all, that the financial aspect of COVID was all about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, what they also did during COVID was massively increase the money supply to meet that. So they, so they hugely increased the amount of money that was available, but nearly all of that money went into the financial markets it didn't go even even despite the fact that to a certain extent they were bailing out the the, the small well they they weren't were they because they were just lending they were the lending money, the money which is how lending, money is yeah. created yeah yeah so so money money yeah so let's get back to that so money is created at the moment by commercial banks when they make a loan 97 percent or more of all money in circulation at the moment is created by commercial banks when they make a loan. Now, people will say, well, that's not true. I go to work and I get paid, you know, a salary and I pay that as a deposit into the bank. That's my money and I can take it out. That's true. That's all true. But where did that money originate from? Where did it come? And if you trace that money back and back and back and back and back, it can only, in our modern fiat currency system, our current international monetary and financial system, that 97% or more of that money 
originated when a bank made a loan. Now, this is called credit creation, right? It's the credit creation model of money. It Now, guess what? It's not credit, right? It's not credit because they haven't created anything. They, it's not like they've taken the money and then, you know, there was this body of money over here that they've then shifted into your account. So they haven't, there's no process of credit. There is no credit. It's called credit creation because that's about the only way that we yeah. can, other than other than outright fraud and usury, that's about the best way to describe it. So you go into a bank account. So you go to a bank and you say you want to borrow money for a mortgage, for example. So you go in there and you say you want to buy, I don't know, $300,000 for a mortgage. They, you know, you go through all the checks and balances and they see whether you're quote unquote credit worthy, which means whether or not they can assess whether you will go to work and pay it back. Right. And then to, to, to put that money as a deposit in your account. OK, they literally type numbers onto a computer. Yeah. Right. There's no there is no there's no equivalent amount of money in a vault somewhere that they've lent you. They just created it out of nothing. So if there were a blockchain for every dollar in your bank account right now, which there isn't, but if there were like a ledger that you could go back with that dollar, it might have gone around whatever to your boss and then down to you or whatever. But if you went back to that actual unit, it would be traced to a moment in time when Citibank just put it in your account and then jotted off a little post-it to the Fed saying, I just gave that guy a million dollars for no good reason, but you have my yeah. 50 cents. So just put it on my account. Right. So like there's a connection between the commercial bank and the central bank in that moment. Is there not? There has to, it has to be recorded somewhere other than just Citibank. Yeah. Well, so, so the deposit, okay, that you've now got, so you've now got $300,000 as a deposit in your account, which you're going to use to buy a pro property. Right. So, that deposit is a liability of the banks, right? It's not your money. It's their money. It's a liability. Well, they, they claim it as theirs yeah, because they yeah, claim, yeah, it, yeah, they yeah, claim yeah. it as their own liability. Yeah. So that liability of $300,000 in our example exists as a, is, it's, it's double entry bookkeeping as well because it also exists as a liability of the banks on its central bank balance yes. sheet, okay. which yes. uses a completely different, completely different model of money. It's it, they, they use something called base money. When they talk about the base rate, it's because that's the base money is what banks use. So banks exchange base money. Interesting. We, we exchange broad money. So you've got this double entry bookkeeping system where you've got You've got this money that's sitting in your account as a liability of the commercial banks, which is also a liability for them on their bait in base money at their central bank account. The asset that they have to offset the liability is your mortgage agreement, right? You've signed a mortgage agreement. Yes. Which is an agreement to pay back that amount of money, right? Yeah. Plus interest. So they claim that as an asset on in their in their accounts, which is also an asset for the bank on their central bank balance sheet. Got it. So it's so so you've got a, a liability of the banks, which they claim as their own because it's their liability, and an asset of the banks, 
which they claim as their own because it's their asset. The only that that money, that three hundred thousand dollars that's just gone poof, just been created out of nowhere. That then you might use it, for example, to buy a property. So that money, that commercial bank created money. I just did that. I just got a loan. Yeah. Yeah. So that commercial bank created money has gone to your vendor, whoever sold you the property. So they have now got this this fiat currency, which they can then spend in the wider economy. So that money has, has filtered. It's come from nowhere. This is the important thing to, to grasp with fiat yeah. currency. It's It's gone poof. It's like magic. It's, it's what a Professor Richard Werner called fairy dust. Oh, I just read his article in Fortune. Yeah. Right? That that I was so impressed that Fortune published that, uh, you know, such an expose of CBDC. Um, cause I was researching some of your concepts. So go ahead, keep going. Yeah. So that, so that money is then fed into the, fed into the real economy. But that means that us, the people, we have to work in whatever, whatever capacity to pay back that money to the commercial bank. But ultimately that means to the central bank because it's their base money that this is all panned out in with assets and liabilities in the in in the central banks base now the central bank charged the, the commercial banks for services and then they charge for creating money for for cash as well so they they've got lots of different ways of making money the central banks but the basic way that they make money is charging the commercial banks for the interest that the commercial banks has to pay on its reserve accounts. So that means if they're charging a base rate of 2%, say, to the central banks, uh, to the commercial banks, in order for a commercial bank's mortgage arrangement, mortgage agreement with you to be viable for them to make a profit, it has to be at least more than the base rate. Because otherwise, right. they're not going to make any money because they're only going to have to pay the full amount back to the central bank. But not to make things too complicated, but the <laughs> reserves that they have is just a fraction of their liabilities. But that's but it's the liabilities they have to pay the rate, the base rate on. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, this is where it gets right. So as you was you you were saying to me earlier, um, there is no. It, it all comes down to how much liquidity that a bank has got. So the, 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 Basel, the Basel Accords, which are set by the Bank of International Settlements, were a series of agreements which said how much uh, a bank's liquidity calculation should be, how much liquidity it should have in order to be able to be what they call viable, in, or, yeah. in order to be able to function as a bank, in order to lend. Right. So it's it's equity. You have to calculate its equity, which is a balance of all its assets and liabilities. Okay. Yes, I and understand. then it's and then and then as long as its equity gives it sufficient liquidity, i.e., it can meet its obligations, its debt obligations, then it can lend money according right. to the Bank for International Settlement, the Basel Accords. I mean, we're talking virtually nothing. I mean, it's yeah, like yeah, 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 right. Point point eight of a percent or something yeah. like that. So yeah, so. Basically, banks have got commercial banks currently under the current model have got pretty much free reign yeah. to create as much money as they like. 
not there are li limitations of regulations you know central banks have got you know there's financial services committee and so forth that design design certain parameters but more or less it's a free for all for commercial banks central bank digital currency will fundamentally change that because it will take commercial banks out of the money creation scam sent, sent commercial banks will be removed from it so Deutsche Bank and CHBC and Citibank and JP Morgan and all that, they won't be able to run their little scam anymore. Now, so what what all the, the people like the Bank for International Settlements have been doing and what and what governments are now presenting, because I mean the, the model that the government that the British government has presented, its so-called platform model for a retail CBDC, is pretty much lifted word for word from Bank for International Settlement policy documents on the same thing, right? So they've, they've just they've taken what the Bank for International Settlement has, has, has created as a model and run with it. So, so how are they going to get the commercial? Because CBDC will only be issued by the central bank, right? They'll be the only ones issuing the money. The, the commercial banks won't. I mean, won't the that. commercial banks just go completely under? Isn't this the basis right. of their business right so this is what i mean about change uh, creating a new international monetary and financial system right because that if they continue with the current one the fact that you're right not only would the commercial banks go under they've got no reason to go along with it you could we could, and we they could would get have up to, to i i'm wondering if the whole silicon valley bank which i found this in my cabinet and i think is probably now a collector's item um that they that whole thing they blame it on interest rates going up and messing up their duration or whatever but maybe they're just trying to obfuscate what could happen you know because there was a little bit of a changing in the guard they already started doing this go direct eliminate the commercial and i'm wondering if if all this stuff was just a scam to cover that up or there's a lot of whitewash in the in the talking points. But anyway, I feel like they're telling us about banking instability just about when they're about to destabilize banking. But maybe yeah. they're not. Maybe they've got a different solution in mind. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a slight way. Well, we can cover that in a minute, if you like. But I mean, I suggest that we just, that, that this yes. is an important, important <laughs> yes, thing yes, to yes. grasp, right? Yes. So it, it would take, theoretically, the CBDC model would take the commercial bank's money money creation scam out out of the biz, out of business, right? Yeah. So what the commercial, what the central banks have said is that we will provide this platform layer, this API layer through which we will issue central bank digital currency. Now, what they've also said is, at the moment, at the moment, we won't program that central bank digital currency. We'll just issue it as a blank check, basically, right? So right. we'll issue it, but at the moment, we won't program that. But they've also said it is important that central bank digital currency meets the policy commitments of the government, <sighs> right? So they're saying we're not going to we're not going to change it. So what we want is for the commercial banks to act as the nodes, the controlled nodes in this different type of distributed ledger right a more of a controlled model a centralized controlled model to act as the the entities that will program the money so you yeah we're take we're, we're taking you out of the out of the money creation scam but we're also going to give you the power to write your own smart contracts i feel like <laughs> so that's how they're getting them on board yeah so. i feel i feel like there's a little bit of um 
you know, I see transactions all over the place now that have little green leaves. I think it's different for y'all than it is for us, but like for us, it says you can pay more to earn a green leaf on this exact same transaction. And I remember Parallel Mike who's in Poland said it's the opposite. They'll give you a discount for using a green leaf. But I'm yeah. thinking that, and I, and you know, I just, I feel like that whole, uh, S G E or whatever, I forget what it's called. Um, the green stuff is going to give a, like a veneer on the restrictions on the money. And it'll give them an excuse to make it look like, well, we don't allow these kind of transactions because they're not green for starters. But really, that's just yeah. going to be a way to start us accepting a limited regime on the money. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a very good thing earlier. You said about, you know, most people who are health conscious would probably welcome the idea that, you know, if if. Uh, that children under so this is something you could do a smart yes, contract that yes. you could do right so you could put a smart contract on CBD so that no child under the age of eighteen can buy high sugar or, or can only buy like a, a, a limited vape. amount of, of high sugar or vape yeah. yeah right good so no no child under the age of eighteen can vape they can't buy one so this they, so think about this this is an important concept in CBDC. That means that government can announce a policy, right? And providing their commercial partners, which would be the banks, agree with that policy, are on board, they won't need any legislation. They won't need to legislate. Or or executive or judiciary. Like they, or, or the executive. Or the, yeah, they won't need it would be to. Costless, they won't need them. Costless, perfect enforcement. So instantaneous yeah. Costless, yeah. perfect for it without legislation. So, how, yeah. is is someone going to challenge? I mean, do you think that's challengeable from a constitutional basis? Because they've already oh, carved yeah. out currency from its constitutional fetters here. Yeah. Well, no, it won't be. It won't be challengeable at all because the central banks are immune from prosecution. And they can do whatever they like. They're going to say that it's voluntary. Like they're going to say in the beginning that yeah. you don't have to use it. Well, it'll all be voluntary, you know, it'll be totally voluntary. Like, And it all comes with digital ID, by the way. It, digital ID is absolutely a nailed uncertainty. You won't be able to use central bank digital currency without digital ID. So will you even have a device or will you just have to bring your eyeball? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah. It'll all be done, all be done on biometric recognition. So it could be fingerprints, eyeball scanners, retina scanners, facial recognition, whatever. So, so all of this comes together, all of this comes together, as you just said, that's a very good phrase, by the way, uh, that it's, it's uh, instantaneous policy enforcement without legislation or any really kind of decision-making process. And no cost. But certainly, cer no certainly no Democrat. No investigative, no law investigative body, Nothing. no FBI. You don't have to look Nothing. into anything. No proof, no due diligence, Nothing. no redress. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Exactly. That's what CBDC is because all that's, about. <laughs> that's the thing with this, with our tyranny, is that we don't mind it because it doesn't get perfectly enforced. So, yeah. like, when I lived in New York, and for years they tried, like, they would have regulations about smoking, whatever, and I would completely ignore them. And so would all good New Yorkers. And then uh, I moved to California for a while, and I came back, and they... 
I was, I, I heard they passed a law against smoking. It was like Giuliani or Bloomberg. They were both total fascists. And uh, I remember on two separate occasions when I had returned to New York, once I was in the subway, smoked a cigarette, and somebody said, you know, they passed a law. And I said, oh, go fuck yourself. And she said, I'm trying to do you a favor because like these bums are cops and someone's going to run out and give you a $150 ticket. Like it's a real ticket and they will get you. And I was like, enforcement? (laughs) You know, this is terrible. And then when I was at the bar, uh, again, I just like lit up my cigarette and somebody next to me said, you, you know, they passed a law and I said, go fuck yourself. And they said, actually the bartender or the, or the restaurant would have, will have to pay a fine. Like someone will call, which I would consider not a New Yorker, but somebody's going to call and then they might not give you a ticket, but it's, it's a, it's a regular, a regulation, like a health regulation. And, and that's why it didn't have to pass the legislature. It did not. And it would impart this extreme fine on a guy I was trying to support with my business. And, and that was it. I was like, oh, it's enforcement. They're enforcing it now. And they didn't have to do it with legislation and they didn't really have to do it with cops, although there was some of that. This will eliminate that completely. And, uh, and I just remember, you know, that was kind of it. And then years later, not that long later, I was at my favorite restaurant there, which was the Four Seasons um, in the Seagram's building, like not the hotel. And there was a bar, the bartender, the bar was empty. It's the greatest bar, you know, ever crafted. And the bar was empty. And I said, like, what the hell happened? And he's like, it's the smoking law. You know, nobody's going to come out and spend $20 on a drink, which it was still like $17 back then many years ago, uh, in New York. And he said, you know, no, who, who's going to spend that kind of money? And they don't even get to smoke, you know, that the smokers are the ones who drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's exactly that kind of thing, but like on a on a scale and a, a, a depth of penetration into society that we we just we can't possibly imagine. And the nuance, the, the nuance of how they could manipulate that is like, yes, you could maybe they'll let you smoke a half a pack of Capris or Marlboro Lights or something, but if you were yeah. gonna, you know, at a party, like they could literally do it to that level. And, and what they, cause I remember I said about the smoking, I said to a friend of mine, I said, someday they're going to take your coffee away from you. And he said, no chance. You're ridiculous. Smoking is gross, blah, blah, blah. So then they took away sugary drinks. Okay. It's not the guy's coffee and coffee is what the production runs on. So they're probably not going to take that away. But they can they can determine anything. I mean, the ingredients in your in your you know face powder, like anything that they want to regulate, and they would have to have no regulation whatsoever, no regulatory process, no legislative process whatsoever to arbitrarily determine that one product is okay and another isn't, and the and the possibility of corruption there, because what if you know the guy who has a monopoly on you know talcum? <laughs> And there's an, a substitute for that. They could just deem it, you know, ungreen. And there, I actually wondered if Bloomberg had an interest in aspartame because he was getting rid of sugars. Like you're driving everybody to NutraSweet. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly, um, oh, what's his face from the Pentagon did, didn't he? Um, oh, yes, uh, Monsanto and Rumsfeld. And then yeah, there, Rumsfeld, yeah, he certainly did. And then there was also <laughs> uh, the guy Chertoff, who was the Homeland Security guy when they implemented the radar in the, the zippy thing. Here's the problem with the Vax and the radar and the aspartame and Monsanto and all that kind of stuff. I don't even care if you steal my money, but do you have to force me to pay to be poisoned? Like, do you have to do it that way? Can't you just yeah. like make me buy the Vax and let me throw it in the garbage? It's like, it's like tax dollars for war. It's like, let me just burn the money if you would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I, I, I've recently written a piece that hopefully is going to be published soon for Unlimited Hangout about digital ID. Uh, and one of the things that uh, one of the companies that is involved in ID20, a company called Accenture, have done. So, so if you look at the comments that have come from from certainly from the White House, I think it was uh, one of the White, White House spokesmen said, um, which I've cited in the article. Uh, you know, we're not thinking about enforcing a vaccine certificate, which certificate means passport. They've switched the words around <laughs> just to make it more confusing for everybody, right? But, but. But we're not thinking of enforcing a certificate, a vaccine certificate. We think that ought to be something that is led to the le left to private corporations to f figure out. Right now. So what they're doing is they're saying it's nothing to do with us. You know, it's nothing to do. It's not, not, not nothing to do with us. If private corporations. So in this case, a company that's deeply involved with a consultancy company that's deeply involved with ID 2020, which is the. UN's overarching body that is setting setting the standards for global digital ID. It's come up with thing. It's it's come up with things called its high level traveler pass. All right. So so this will be a digital ID that links to your vaccination record. Now th this is the way the environment is set to work with that particular digital ID, and it is also the way that the environment is set to work with central bank digital currencies. They're not setting hard and fast rules that you must do this and you must do that. What they are doing is creating an environment of goals and targets which must be achieved in such a way that whatever you produce your digital ID product, because they're talking about vendors providing digital ID, has to be what they're calling interoperable. Right. So it must be interoperable with all other the all of the other components that are on this, if you call it a digital ID continuum, right? right? So they set the framework, the policy framework, and then they set the funk and then through subsidiary private wow. a, a global a global yeah. company public-private partnership in this case, yeah. which is what ID20 is, they set the the targets, the specific functionality that, that, an, that an ID vendor must fit their product into. into. So the, ve the vendor is free to use different types of technology, <laughs> yeah. but, it but it must fit into this, this functional framework, which is interoperable, which means all other components of the ID, the global ID system can plug into it in a kind of modular way, a bit like an app that can plug in to the API, right? So you create the API and then the modules plug into it. So that so that from from this is the interesting thing. From our perspective, we will never probably confront, certainly in the UK, who is dead against digital ID. We we've rejected it repeatedly when asked. 
we will never be confronted with an auth- yeah. with a digital ID card. Yeah. They'll never say that is your digital ID card. What they'll say is, oh, you need a digital ID right. if you want to go on holiday. You need a digital right. ID if you want to shop in that store. But what they're not telling you is that every single component of that digital ID network is interoperable and it all feeds the data back to a single centralized database. Right. So so that's that's that is the what they're creating for digital ID and it is also what they are creating for central bank digital currency globally. And a big stepping stone to that seems to me that the don't touch money cashless transactions, touchless transactions during covid so, yeah, yeah, no, it's all part of that, yeah. So it's if you can't use cash and all all financial transactions, like all non-cash financial transactions have to be interoperable, then you're just de facto completely in that system. And yeah, I mean, Apple Pay is a perfect example, or PayPal. Like I, I, I load all my credit cards up to PayPal, and sometimes it'll just say, you want PayPal to cover this? And I'll just hit PayPal, and it's completely done. And that's my... Like eventually I will just use PayPal because it's the, it's just that button keeps coming up and it's perfect. And I know like my stuff's in there, but there's no, I yeah. never use cash. I mean, I like cash, but I don't. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and the way that, the way that it will be sold to us is through convenience. This will be so much easier. You know, for example, I mean, one of the problems that we have at the moment, I mean, it's something that they, they, they commonly do in the UK and you might suspect that there's an element of putting you off cash with this as well, is if you try and pay for anything in cash in the UK, I'm not sure what the limit is, but it's low. It's only about £1,500 or something like that. It might even be lower than that. If you go and try and take that amount of cash out of your own bank account, you have to jump through all kinds of ID hoops to get it out. It's not enough just to show them your driving licence. You have to show them, you know, a bank but banks, not a bank statement, you get it from the bank, but you, you have to show them, a, uh, you know, something like some sort of uh, utilities bill. Wow. You have to get someone to verify, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? So they're putting you off using cash, getting the cash out of the bank. With central bank digital currency, because it will be linked to your digital ID, which is pre-approved, one of the advantages, <laughs> they will say, yeah right, is, oh, you don't have to worry about these identity checks anymore. So you, you can, you, you know, the, 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 it makes, so for that's reducing the cost for the bank. So they'll say it reduces costs so because the bank doesn't have to do any of this, which is all true. It's all true. It, that, that, those things are true. But the reason that you don't have to verify your ID anymore is that you're firmly and constantly <laughs> yeah. on the grid. So right? you can't get off the grid. Yeah. So so I would suspect that they put those barriers up just to <clears throat> give you a way to get past them. And it's somebody I was online at the airport, an international situation, and they keep trying to push this global entry thing clear or whatever, but it's definitely an international global entry. And uh, the guy next to me, I said, this is I guess we concluded that they have deliberately slowed down the line we were in so that people would be forced to sign up for this thing to catch their flight or whatever. I wasn't even my idea, and I'm definitely the most conspiranoid. But the, we also have recently, so for us to get 
uh, I think it, I think it's closer to five thousand dollars, and it's still just a driver's license. But there's a new tax law that if you have any transactions over six hundred dollars, which is really low, you have to fill out a tax form. So if you if you were automatically if that were automatically because then at the same time they're talking about how the IRS can just do your they're trying to get approval to have the IRS just do your taxes automatically and if they perfect that $600 thing then it would just feed into that and you wouldn't have to come up with the paperwork if they had your ID because it would feed right into your IRS account so i feel like they're yeah. putting up laws that that are so inconvenient that you are then going to beg for the convenience and I mean, realistically, yeah. what are people going to do? How far can your resistance go? So C, so CBDC will automatically do all that for you. It will calculate all the tax on every transaction. It will automatically play it to the government. It will automatically, you know, so for example, when you pay your utilities bill. So with CBDC, you can envisage like with the Internet of Things. So that don't <laughs> let's not forget that their model is to give the uh, the smart contract writing capability to the private banks, to the commercial banks, and to commercial financial institutions and payment gateways like PayPal and so forth, right? So they'll be able to write the smart contracts. So they can put a smart contract on your CBDC that when you pay your utility bill, or not even when you pay your utility bill, with the Internet of Things, your washing yeah. machine will be able to automatically deduct money from your central bank digital currency wallet, pay it to the utility provider, pay it to the energy provider. And if they put in a smart contract to give some kickbacks to their investors like BlackRock or someone like that, they'll get their cut as well. And it'll all be done automatically because for you, that will be more convenient. And you could refine, even at, I went to Harvard undergrad and, um, which I was shocked because I, you know, I can't, my father's a hardcore libertarian. He didn't even want me to go. I dropped out of high school at his suggestion. I ended up in community college. He was like, you go to Harvard, you become a socialist or whatever. And to my amazement, I took economics and they talked about how taxes can create do create, unless it's like a head tax where everybody has to just pay a thousand dollars. It creates a sub, you know, suboptimal efficiency in in how you spend your money. Like people aren't going to get the most utility because some things are taxed and other things aren't. And then, of course, the guy, I think it was Martin Feldstein or something. He was like a big shot economist. He said, so then you have to ask the question because it's not unintended consequences because you know that there are consequences. You create a tax scheme to encourage the spending you want and discourage the spending you don't want. But for us, like we only have, and when we, he talks about it at the time, we only have certain, like a limited number of tools that we can use. You have income tax, you have brackets, you have sales tax. But in this case, the level of nuance, like, you know, whatever, doing too many loads of laundry, using hot water instead of cold water. And what it'll do is yeah. on a smart machine like that, it would tell you, this load of laundry will cost you $3.50. Or, or just yeah. to say it'll cost you $3.50, but this other kind of laundry is $1.25. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, another thing they'll do in terms of, you know, managing the economy is that India have already suggested with the digital rupee, India have already suggested, and they're not alone, I think uh, Russia, China, India, uh, uh, quite a few countries have already suggested putting a time limit on their CBDC. 
Ah, uh, yes. So, it, so if you if if you issue if they issue, say they issue you six thousand yeah. rupees, can I e, say e, ru, e, e rupees? Yeah. Right. You've got to spend them right. within the time limit. So that that is that is directly stimulating inflationary. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. So that is directly stimulating. But they can also, and this is what they, the, a lot of lot of central banks and certainly the Bank for International Settlement have, have looked at at length. They can also put a negative interest rate yes, on it. Yes, yes. The IMF right? has actually so, talked about that. Yes. IMF talk about yes. it. World Bank and well, well, yeah. So, so if you put a negative interest rate on your money, then keep then keeping it, just holding yes, it, is costing you money. Saving. If you right? so saving. If you don't want to be dependent as an old person, if you don't want to be dependent on Social Security, I mean, what what can you do? I mean, I guess you can buy real estate and stuff. I know we have to talk about this. Something I read in one of your articles about that. But I, there's a few more things I want to hit here. And just before we get to that, I wanted to ask you just a few things on that topic. Do you think that our out-of-control national debt will be used as a catalyst for failure? Because you said somewhere like BlackRock said our system is, quote, tapped out. And that encouraged the or gave the central bank an excuse to do some of this going direct, which is was buying assets right in the open market or from non-banks to to yeah. get base money or broad money or whatever directly to the people. So I'm just thinking, do you think that our like completely flagrant borrowing, profligate borrowing is meant to fa- to make things fail or appear to fail? Do you see that as a part of this at all? I, I, I think it's fairly clear that since 2008, the, the, the complete abandon with which they've been creating money out of thin air and just 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 ramping up the asset purchases i mean the fed's balance sheet is has got is just gone astronomical to trillions yes. you know from from billions to yes, trillions yes, yes. right right so so to my mind that indicates to me that they've got no interest in the current monetary system and right. the current fiat monetary yeah. system because it's going to go right. pop yeah. It cannot right? be resolved so good, in this paradigm. It cannot yeah. be resolved. So if you look at moving to what you were talking earlier about SVB, what SVB reveals is if you look at the total balance sheet, that what what they the FDIC calls the composite balance sheet for the entire banking system, US banking system, the, currently they're suggesting that what, what SVB's collapsed as is as indicated is his exposure to what they're calling unrealized assets unrealized losses sorry so so these are assets that they bought bonds you know commercial might be corporate or but but a lot of treasuries right so this is this is a lot of of, of corporate and mainly government debt that they bought right because these were supposedly secure investments at a lower interest rate inflation has gone up because of the expansion of the monetary supply, which is the definition of inflation, yes. which we've forgotten about. Always and right? everywhere. Yeah, right. So so that's gone up. That's gone up. The bank the central bank has responded by putting up interest rates, right? Which means that those assets that SVB were holding on to have deflated in value by the equivalent amount. Right. Now if you now if you if you extrapolate that across the entire US banking system, considering that other banks are sitting on similar amounts of assets, meant much more in many occasions. JP Morgan have got 500 billion compared to SVB's 49 billion. 
So there is orders of magnitude bigger, right? You have to apply a haircut to the value of their, they're claiming those as assets, but you've got to apply a haircut to them. Now, if you put that across the whole banking system, what that means is that the total amount of exposure is somewhere in the region of 650 plus billion, right? To in, in unrealized losses, which means that that's similar to what triggered the last bailout, which was 700 billion. But that's not all because they're also claiming assets for what they're calling uh, loans and leases. They're, they're saying that these are these. this is the price, the value of these assets, these loans and leases. But those loans and leases were also made at pre-inflationary wow. uh, pre pre level. So you've got to apply the same cut to yeah. them. Now, now the cut to that, now they value at $12.3 trillion. Wow, really? So if you add that cut, then you're looking at a hole in the all overall in the in the in the entire FDIC, what they call their composite balance sheet, of at least two trillion less in assets than they're claiming. And the interest rate which is a, which is unrecoverable. It has a compound, unrecoverable. Unless interest rates were to plummet back down to like zero, which but maybe it's too late anyway. But uh, and those ones, like a, a mortgage, which would be long term, is is not getting refinanced probably a very long time. And for every year, you know, the the price of the bond goes down, like uh, as a function of the duration. So if something's just yep. one year where you got, you could trade it out for seven percent interest, then it goes down by whatever five percent. But if it's ten years. That you've got a two percent yep. loan and the going rate is five percent, you know that's gonna that's gonna You're have a compound impact on the on the yeah. net present value. So, which is what SVB did. They put they put yeah. those long term treasuries in their what they called held to maturity account. Yeah. So they put they put a bet on yeah for 10 that years. they were not gonna have to sell that and yeah. yeah. So okay, so the last thing I, I want on that topic, and then I want to talk about tokenization. Um, is so the bank for international settlements is this is what you call the central bank or the bank of the central banks and yeah so what and that and that they seem to be calling the shots here but when i look at that at their structure it's just the central bankers and you know christine lagarde and jerome powell but surely those people aren't in charge who do you think are individuals or is like the Rockefellers or the Rothschild? Like, you know, what is it that you see as the power behind that? Is there like a, a, a you know, somebody who's influential there that, is, that isn't on the roster because he's not an actual central banker or where to come from? Like, what's the story there? Yeah, well, I mean, I can speak. I don't know so much about other central banks, but I can certainly speak about the Bank of England. So the Bank of England is one of those central banks that is a member of the Bank for International Settlements, where and the and the purpose, the the stated goal and purpose of the Bank for International Settlement is to manage monetary policy globally, right? So it's man, so that's monetary policy, which is an important component of every government of every government's policy. But that's not managed by government. It's managed by the banks, it's managed by the central banks, and it's managed by the Bank for International Settlement, who are, who are in Switzerland. You can absolutely right? see how it's coordinated, because it looks to me like some, when they had to have a lot of stimulus and bring the interest rates down, and I remember it looked to me like it was rotating. Like one would take a turn, and then another would take a turn, and then another would take a turn. And it was having an impact on the global markets. And I was like, oh, it's their turn. Now we're, you know, the dollar's strong, but I, I feel like they just, they obviously coordinate it. 
and I guess that's yeah. where. Yeah, and so so if we so let's if we just take the the uh, Bank of England, which is the bank that I'm most familiar with, the central bank that I'm most familiar with, it is run by its court of directors. It's not run by the government. We can put put aside this idea that it's run by the government. It is not run by the government. The people don't own it, right? It, it's right. not. Us this either. is a myth. <laughs> this is a yeah. <clears throat> well, in the, certainly in the Fed's case, the Fed are far more open about it. I mean, the Fed have just openly admitted that they're a private yeah. bank. So, I mean, it's, it's, oh, it's yeah. you know, mm -hmm. so, so, but, but in the, uh, in the Bank of England's case, it is run by its court of directors. All of its court of directors are appointed by the crown. Not the government, wow. the crown. I knew the crown had right? power. People are like, oh, they have no power. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they own the world, but I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I think the crown is just one. Personally, I think that the, the crown is just one kind of uh, powerful right. institution. Yeah. I, I think they're all within a. They all operate yes, within yes. a network. Personally, but, but yeah, but the crown appoints the, the board of directors. When the board of directors take their oath of office to the bank for to the bank of for England, they swear their allegiance to the bank. <laughs> they also they they also they also swear their allegiance to silence. It's secret. Their decision making oh, is yes, secret. Perforce. Like right. that's what they say. They right. have yeah. to because otherwise would, they couldn't yeah. do the policies. Yeah. So 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 the bank in the in the British case, the Bank of England is a private corporation run in secret. By a group, I mean, this yeah, is openly right, stated right. by it's, the Bank of England, right? Undisputed. Is, it, uh, is by a group, by a group that is appointed by the Crown, not the government. See this? That's what. So that and and they set monetary policy in the UK. So when you think about it, monetary policy is one of the main mechanisms by which any government. Yes. Can facilitate oh. fiscal yes, policy. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Right. It it can't. The two are the two are interlinked. Yeah. So fiscal policy is pretty. You know, the the setting of taxes and the gathering of it revenue and the distribution of that revenue, that is pretty much, other than starting wars, that is <laughs> that is pretty much all that government does. This this monetary policy, which without which fiscal policy can't function is not controlled by governments. It is controlled yeah. by private institutions. So that's that's the situation. I feel like... And that, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, with CBDC, more power is shifting over to those private institutions. Yes. Because they're, they're, they're openly saying that not only will we issue all the currency, and this is important, CBDC, just as... When a bank, a commercial bank, makes a loan and they create a deposit, that is a liability of the commercial banks. When the when the central bank makes a loan and creates a deposit of base money, that is a liability of the central banks. So the central banks will create this CBDC as their liability. So yes. it will be their money, not our money. It will never be our you if in a CBDC world, this is really important to remember. Nobody who uses CBDC, and if that's everybody, that'll be a lot of people, will ever have their own money ever again if they use CBDC. It's not your money. It's the central bank's money. I mean, at that point, you just want to hoard gold, but you probably aren't going to be able to buy gold at the CBDC. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, with CBDC, they would just disable the purchasing of it, or or this yes. is what they probably will do: re restrict it to approved, yes, approved money makers. You know, I want to get to that in a second because you have a gold backed stable coin on your thing. But I have to before we get to that, yeah. which and then we can wrap on that. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time, but this idea of tokenized assets blew my mind. Like I've heard, I've heard explanations of it, yeah. but the way you said it, like. Everything and this folds into what I have always wanted to talk to you about, but I, now I understand it. Where like every single thing can be on the blockchain. So if you have a house, you can tokenize that asset, like create five hundred thousand whatevers out of it. Yeah. You've got like a couple of really cool trees on there, and you can subdivide into that. And then I feel like uh, I feel like what would happen if you had a five hundred thousand dollar real estate token tokenized asset and instead of getting a mortgage like I just did you might take 250,000 of those and you could either sell them in which case you'd be selling half of your house or I've seen this in the crypto world maybe you could stake them so it looks yeah. like you're just borrowing against it but if anything goes wrong then you actually do lose that asset probably instantaneously it just reverts to somebody else's ownership or they have it in escrow and and because it's um you know if it really is true tokenized maybe it's a bearer thing it's not like in a title and uh and i just i felt like that idea was just really would change our like the way we own things especially property real property yeah no absolutely so you're quite right so the idea of tokenization is that you uh, ascribe a digital uh, uh subdivision of any anything anything so it could be, as you quite rightly said, so let's take the idea of a forest, right? You, you could create a digitalized asset blockchain for a forest, right? So on that, on that blockchain would be all the different trees and subdivisions of the trees, which, which you could then sell those tokenized assets. So an environmentally uh, conscientious group might bid for those tokenized assets so that they can protect the trees. Or a global corporation, a, a logging company might bid for those t t tokenized assets so that they can cut the trees down. So, so it, you, what you do is the innate tokenization of assets, calling anything an asset, such as a forest, you can you can financialize and commodify anything, anything. So, so you could in the in the example of what Spurbank have done in Russia, which is a which is a, a quasi-commercial bank in Russia, they've created what they call a tokenized digital stable coin. So, and Iran and Russia are talking about using this for international settlements, right? So, so what they're saying is that, that the they're kind of claiming that it's backed by gold. So they're saying our stable coin, which is a digital, digital coin, is backed by gold. It's a gold-backed coin. So even though it all exists digitally, it's gold-backed because it's pegged to the value of gold in theory, right? But of course, they're not actually pegging it to gold. What they're pegging it to is a tokenized asset which is set to gold. So they, so if you imagine, if you've got a gold bar and you just chopped it up into, into hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little tiny little pieces and you and you sold each one of those to individual investors and called that a token of the bar, right? 
So you subdivide a gold bar. But is that I mean, physical this is a silly at example. all? Like, like no, 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 it, no, no. But no, I mean, no, no, it's not physical. Do you, I, I know, I know. I realize you're not going to actually chop it up, but like, is it? Are you identifying ever a specific bar of gold? Because what we're talking about with the trees is, I believe that we're actually identifying a specific. You could identify one single tree, tokenize it, and when you yeah. send it to the lumber yard. It, it the the token that has value there would would have a ledger in there that would tell you where that tree came from, who owned it, and that token yeah, then is yeah. co totally traceable. Whereas with the gold bar, is that something where you know there's a, say one million? I mean, sure, more than this, but one million gold bars in Fort Knox, and you issue one. Um, you know, one million tokens, and then you have a fraction of a token. Do they have to be the gold, the gold bars that are in Fort Knox, either as a body or as an individual? Well, that, but that's a good question because if you start tokenizing physical assets, instead of actually backing it to the value of the asset, you're backing it to the value of the token. But there's, but but the tokens can be traded, and can they be increased? So, yeah, so the so the tokens can be traded. They can, they can go up or down in value, independently of the value of the gold that's supposedly backing them, right? So what you're actually talking about is a shell game. That's what that's right. what it really is. And that's because, what I always think. Because, like these digital currencies are maybe not a shell game, but impossible to value, impossible to nail down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let's say that that they set the unit value of a of a, a tokenized uh, gold asset at. Uh, uh, I don't know, $100 an ounce, right? But then the value of gold goes down. But in, the, in a trading environment, you might think, well, it's still a solid asset. So even though the value of gold has gone down to $80 an ounce, I still judge that this token is worth $120 an ounce as an investment. Yeah. So, so immediately you're separate by, you're claiming that this is all uh, uh, pegged to real value. Whereas in fact it's not. It's just another iteration of the same, the same fiat flim flam that we that we're currently suffering under, currently laboring under. It's 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 a it's a con. And, <laughs> it's just another layer of the con. But I have to say, it does look like it's happening. I mean, I don't think oh, there's yeah. any way around it. Oh, everyone's all so in. So what do we do? <laughs> do we do we hoard gold while we still can? What do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm no financial advisor, so I don't. No, don't, but I, I mean, like, how advice. do you prep? I, I live in a van. How do you prep? Nice. How do you prep? <laughs> I mean, do you have cans of mackerel, or do you have silver dimes? Like, how, what's in your uh, what's in your trunk? <laughs> I mean, I, I what I would say is, you want to sort of be diverse, don't you? You want to diversify your holdings as much as you can. You don't want to rely on any one thing because who knows yeah. what's going to happen in in. Do you know what I, I mean? I'm it's, collecting it's, bottles of bourbon. And I literally am collecting bottles of her. Like, that's money. Well, that's I think, I mean, <laughs> I can that, use that, that. Cup, hold, keep that cup. You know, that's going to be worth something. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so, definitely, definitely. Yeah, keep that. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, but I mean, those kind of things. I mean, we need to think probably about, uh, certainly we need to think about alternative payment systems yeah. and how, how we are going to function as human beings in this environment. You know, I mean, the, the, the theoretically, I mean, there's all sorts of questions about CBDC, which don't quite, don't quite sort of aren't resolved yet. For example, 
theoretically, every transaction can be mapped and traced and everything. So how are they going to? How are, how is the CIA going to smuggle weapons <laughs> if every transaction can be mapped and tracked and everything? Yeah, like how that? are they going to get I mean, their drug you know, money? <laughs> presu- presumably, the CIA is still going to smuggle and, weapons, yeah. right? They're not going to. They're not going to stop. They trade them for drugs. So, you've so, got. so I mean, you could just do barter. Well, yeah. but, so, yeah. so I mean, how are they going to? You know, how is how is you know. Uh, all the secret services going to yeah, do their dirty deals and everything like that. How are, how are the banks going to do their yeah. dirty deals? How are they going to launder cartel Definitely. money if they can't? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you know, talk about bread and butter. So, so some sort of mechanism will have to coexist. I mean, the the, the point is, it's you know, by giving more control to the commercial banks by setting. By setting, giving them the power to write the smart contracts, you're creating a lot of scope there for what they can do with those oh, contracts. Wow! You know, oh, there's wow. a lot of things. There's a lot of. Oh, I have. I had a friend who I didn't know this. He was a Mexican guy or Texan, Texican, and he had a card in his wallet that he said if he's ever caught with drugs, he gets off because he's like a, a, you know, a quasi, you know, he's a deputized, like undercover agent guy. And, you know, it was really... <laughs> An official drug Yeah, <laughs> it was super weird. I mean, and he was my plumber. I was like, uh, okay. Um, yeah, but yeah. He, but yeah, I'm not sure. I, I know, know. Yeah. it was a little sketchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I was thinking, like, they give people passes. You know, the CBDC's own personal or the CIA's own personal gets a pass. Like, oh, we're allowed to buy illegal cocaine with this. Like, passes exist. Well, well, I mean, exactly. I mean, and and then, but then, but ultimately, you know, the the criminal, the criminal um, economy is... I don't know what the figures right. are, but it's at least as big, if not bigger, than the official. It has economy, to be because right? we need crime to justify the government crime. You know what I mean? We have these competing cartels. They're not going to let crime go away, even though they say that's why they want this. So yeah, so I mean, if they stamp down with all this stuff, if they try to, if they try to impose this level of control, the black market's going to flourish. You know, there's there's no doubt that that will happen. I mean, people right. aren't once. Yeah. I think I think once people realise the, the the breadth and scope of what they are trying to do to them, yeah. in terms of controlling their lives, you know, people are going to react to that. And 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 I think one of the encouraging things about us as a species is that, and this is something that John. And by the way, I have to give credit to John Titus for a lot. John Titus from the excellent YouTube channel Best Evidence for a lot of the stuff that I, I'm talking about to you today because he's the one that spoke about the split monetary Oh, right, yeah, okay. And, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Great. So so John John Titus from Best Evidence is is, is definitely worth checking out. Uh, but more to the point, the the when they when they create these these kind of this kind of pressure on on people, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. These central bankers and all these people that are trying to enforce their will, they really have got no control over what the reaction will be. I mean, there, there are millions and millions of teenagers toiling away on crypto in their bedrooms who can probably run rings around the NSA, right? So that, so, so what, what will be the reaction? We don't know. But, but, the, but, but what is certain is that 
we must resist this with, with everything. We must resist this. We must not adopt CBDC. We must not allow that to become our primary source, our primary medium of exchange. You know, we need to insist on using cash. We need to use alternative payment systems. We need to trade. We need to barter. We need to create our own uh, uh, payment systems. Things like there's a scheme uh, uh, called Let's in the UK, which is a local exchange, local exchange trade mechanism. Oh, cool! Right, systems. So, so these are these are alternative forms of currency. Now, whenever these oh, yeah, things spring that. up, yeah. so whenever these things spring up, there's always there's always some sort of regulation that says, "Oh, you can't do that because we can't tax yeah. it" or something like that. But I mean, people will adapt. People will adapt. So. You know, I mean, one of the one of the frightening things in the way in what the the Bank of England have presented is that one of the deputy director of their financial services committee, I think, uh, or directly, I can't remember his exact title, but a guy called John Cunliffe. Yeah. When he was announcing the digital pound, he said, you know, we want to set a ceiling of how much people can hold, maybe 20,000 or 10,000. Right. We're not we, we haven't decided yet. Right. So this is what he said. If if we pay people in CBDC, then with a 20,000 limit, we should be able to pay most people in the UK. So what he's saying is that that if you've got private corporations are, are in on this and they and, you know, people's businesses, their employers, if their employers start paying them in CBDC, then what choice are they going to have but to use it? Yeah, of course. It's, it's what it's it, all they it, have. It's voluntary. Yeah. It's voluntary other than the fact that they're not going to pay you in but anything boy, else. They can they can put wage caps. That wage would be a de facto every, wage cap. You, all the stuff that we are used to, everything that we are used to, so wage negotiations, uh, you know, union representation, democracy itself, because litigate, because legislation will become less important, all of that, in a CBD, this is what people aren't grasping, in a CBDC world, it all changes. It all changes. Twice you've reminded me of fascist, like literal fascist policies. One was Hitler had the like labor unit, like there was a coin. Supposedly, this is when they decided he had to go. Yep. There was a coin for one unit of labor, and it was quite egalitarian because that's what you would get no matter what the nature of your labor. And that I wouldn't be surprised if that comes in this way. And um, Ezra Pound, I think, was like a card-carrying Mussolini fascist. Uh, very excellent writer, though. Interesting person. They committed him, I think, unjustly, actually. But uh, he wrote, he wanted a, he wanted money to expire. He did not want it to be a store of value if it was a medium of exchange because he felt like there should be, because the fascists were into stimulating the economy quite a bit. So it's just funny because these are, you know, fascist ideas and it, nobody would. Uh... Well, I mean, it, it, when, it, when you think, if you think about the kind of the original sort of the, the fascismo, the, the Italian definition of, of fascism, it is an amalgam of, the, you know, within, within the state. The state is everything. It is an amalgam of the government and private corporations. That is, you know, it, not entirely, but that is central to the definition of fascism. We yes. are talking. That's what we're looking that's at. What that's, it is. that's what we're looking yeah, at. That's definitely what it is. And I guess we are uh, we have to encourage the resistance. And I, I would say, I just want um, to recap, if you would, 
where I, I'll put all the stuff in the show notes. Um, when I hit the outro, I want you to just wait a minute because I have a little upload issue with um, the way I'm recording this right now. So if you would tell people how to find you and how to get more of this stuff, I mean, I just, I love your writing. I love your research and you're so prolific. I don't know how you have the time. You must be really efficient at it because I mean, I can't keep up. So tell people about that. Uh, yeah, you can find most of my work uh, uh, or uh, a lot of my work at my uh, own website, which is iandavis.com, which is I-A-I-N davis.com. Uh, you can also find my work at uh, Unlimited Hangout. Uh, it's also reshared by the Off Guardian. You can find it. Uh, uh, I'm fortunate I've just been asked to start writing for Geopolitics and Empire. Oh, great. Oh, um, we love Hawaii. Yeah, much. yeah, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> but... Um, um, I've also been uh, also at UK Column. You can find my work there. Uh, it's shared by a lot of outlets. So you, you often find my work at places like Lou Rockwell and um, uh, also Tech, Technocracy News. Um, and to support you yeah. directly, so is, 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 is would be your Substack to support you directly. Uh, yeah, and my and yeah, please uh, check out my Substack. Uh, and you can there's plenty of links on my website and on my Substack, obviously, to how you can support my work. Uh, my book is freely available. My books are freely freely available at my website to anybody who wants one. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, just check out, just check out my work and uh, check out what I'm saying. And um, and one thing I would say, and something that I always say to people is, is, is what I'm trying to do is offer people evidence that that is not commonly reported. That's it. It's up to us to make up our own minds about what we think about all this stuff. No you know, theory it's, it's, in the stuff that you write. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm it's not well advocating yeah. one particular one particular theory. No, but it's or evidence. It is. Just, it's totally evidence based. Yeah, it's, it's and a, a traceable. Try and keep it as evidence. That's why based. I clicked. Yeah. I clicked through when I was reading these articles. I clicked through to a lot of your resources. I did some outside work to like kind of um, get it more context for what you're saying. That's when I stumbled upon Professor Werner's work. And I thought, you know, that's yeah. a pretty mainstream source as a professor of these subjects. And it was like your explanation of it was more accessible for me, but it reflected the principles. So I just I find that it's all, you know, your stuff checks out. So <laughs> thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. Uh, wait just a second. And thank you all for listening. This has been Deep Dives with Monica Perez. Monica Perez.